Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few moments, please stay with me. This show is always about motivation, inspiration, and education. A short 30-minute show, but uh, no human speculation, none of that at all. We're here doing one thing. We're trying to give you some information, hopefully information that will help you verify and possibly even identify the plan of God for your life. And if you would like to orient and adjust to the plan, then obviously you have the freedom, you have the privacy to do that in your own life. But the Flotline, this radio show, we're using that military analogy, FLOT, F-L-O-T, that stands for the forward line of troops. And what we're teaching on the FLOT line is that there is a way to build an invisible forward line of troops in your soul, a main line of resistance in your soul, made up of ten unique biblical doctrines. And these ten doctrines, if you learn them and use them, they will stop the outside sources of adversity from ever becoming the inside source of stress. That's why my pastor used to always say, adversity is inevitable, but stress is optional. Yes, it is optional. The Christian life is not a life of stress. The Christian doesn't have to worry. The Christian doesn't have to be afraid. The Christian never has to get full of revenge motivation, no bitterness, no implacability. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is the most unique life in the world. It's a supernatural life. And it can only be lived in a supernatural power. And that means God, the Holy Spirit, must control your life. And God's Word must be the guiding direction in your life. Learning God's Word and using it is called divine viewpoint as opposed to human viewpoint. And so the Bible tells us in Romans 12:3 to stop thinking of ourselves in terms of arrogance beyond what we should think. But think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. How am I supposed to think? Well, the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he demonstrated his humility. That's what he did. You you know, the Lord Jesus Christ... uh, took the big risk, not you, not me. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, took our place, paid for our sin. He was the first one, and he demonstrated to us what it means to live the Christian life. He gave us a demonstration. He was the prototype, the first Christ, and we can live like him when we utilize the same assets and the same powers that he utilized. Now, obviously, he never had to confess sin. He didn't sin. He didn't have a sinful nature. And so that wasn't necessary. And he did not have to be occupied with Christ since he is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are two things we must do. We must rebound our sin when we sin. We must confess it as per 1 John 1, 9, or else we can't have fellowship with God. When we sin, the Bible tells us we quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not in fellowship with God. When that happens, we are carnal. We are fleshly, the Bible says. So we have to deal with that. 
And then we have to grow, and thus the Bible tells us, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without growing, we can't learn effectively how to live the Christian life. It's, it's, people just want to make the rules up as they go along. God is a God of protocol. God is a God of precisely correct procedure. And there is a way to live that God has designated in his word. And if there's any one thing Satan has done, he has successfully confused people about this and got people to do all sorts of goofy things in the name of Christianity. So what I want to talk to you about today, I want to bring this to your attention. I talked to you about it maybe a few years ago. I don't remember exactly, but I'm a big fan of the military. And not too long ago, maybe, I don't know exactly, a few years ago, I was able to go to the headquarters of the Night Stalkers. Maybe you've never heard of them. It's a unique group of individuals made up of the 160th Special Operation Aviation Regiment, United States Special Operation Command, the Night Stalkers. They are the helicopter pilots that ferry Special Forces, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, these are the men that move them around anywhere they need to go, point on time, by time. And they are a unique organization. It is the most modern night fighting aviation organization in the world. Unbelievable capabilities. And their ability to strike undetected during darkness is amazing. They have distinguished performance around the world. And they provide all sorts of aviation support to Army Special Operations. They fire three different helicopters, light observation helicopters called the MH-06, the utility helicopter called the MH-60, and then the medium lift helicopter, the MH-47. So these are the men that make up the Night Stalkers. They are risk takers. They are what I call risk takers. And here's the analogy that I'm trying to make for you. I believe the Heavenly Father is looking for a few risk-takers today. Risk-takers, not excuse-makers. And that is what's going on today in Christianity. Too many excuse-makers. Yes, they, we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and yes, we kind of get interested in his word, but success breeds distraction. And once the distractions start, then the growth stops. And once the growth stops, then all the excuses start. So what is a risk taker? Well, in the Night Stalkers, it's someone who's willing to take the point, someone who's willing to go out first, someone that's not going to say, not me. The risk taker is not afraid to risk everything. The risk taker will be dedicated to the mission. He will not put a premium on security. And here's the main part. The risk taker may be marked by sorrow, but his life is always defined by joy. Joshua was a risk taker. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, you can read about Joshua, the risk taker, how he had a lifestyle of trust. Listen to Psalm 31, verse 1. I will put my trust in you, O Lord. That's a risk taker. Never let me be ashamed. Deliver me. Be my rock. Lead me, guide me, 
and pull me out of the trap laid for me. You are my strength. Verse 14, I will trust in you. My times are in your hands. This is the risk taker. This is the person who knows what it takes to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are three enemies that you face, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we've been talking about that. We've gone over that quite extensively, and uh, this is what I want you to understand. If you're going to be a risk taker, then you have to not stand on the wrong side of history. You have to be willing to take the point and lead out. And this, what I want to talk to you today, comes out of the Bible in Matthew chapter 8. Here's what I want to read to you. This is Matthew 8, and this is our Lord Jesus Christ looking for a few risk takers. When Jesus saw the great multitudes, Matthew 8, 18, he gave the commandment to depart to the other side. So he's talking to Peter, James, John. Guys, we need to get in the boat, and we need to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They had been there all day. There were huge crowds gathering. It's beginning to be late in the evening, and they got in the boat to go to the other side. But there were some excuse makers. We read about, read about one. It said, A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. If you read that, you think this man is offering to go, but he was not offering to go. Only way you would really know that is to look at the Greek nuance of the New Testament and see this is a subjunctive verb, I will follow you. It's not indicative, it's subjunctive. And what that simply means is it's potential. Maybe I will and maybe I won't. If, in fact, you really do go. He didn't believe the Lord Jesus Christ was going to leave that crowd of people. And the Lord Jesus Christ had to set him straight. He said, look, fella, I don't have a tour bus, and I don't have reservations at the Hilton. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to get used to not having a home and not having any security, because that's what he said. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but where the Son of Man goes, I don't have any place to even lay my head. This is the first thing you've got to understand. You must learn that if you are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to be that kind of risk taker, you can't put a premium on security. That's the wrong thing to do. If you're thinking that the details of life can provide protection for you, if you're thinking that the details of life can provide happiness for you, then you've gotten the wrong idea. If you're not willing to take the point and lead your family, if you're not willing to take the point and lead your church, then you've got the wrong idea of what it means to be a risk taker. Because as I go back in my notes, risk takers are not afraid to risk at all, and they don't put a premium on security. But the key point is they may live a life marked by sorrow, but it will be defined by joy. I can assure you of one thing. If you get serious about the Word of God, you will face opposition. First of all, you will face distractions. 
If you begin a routine of studying God's Word on a daily basis, if you find you a pastor who will teach you the Word of God consistently, and you get a Bible and you get a notebook and you sit down and you start every day listening to that pastor, it will not take long before every sort of distraction in the world will come your way. You may be more successful in business than you've ever been. You may have all sorts of opportunities you've never had because Satan will throw everything at you to keep you from growing up because this is how you grow up. This is how you turn into a winner in God's plan. This is why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's amazing how many people that I meet that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they do not put the effort to grow spiritually. They don't make the effort, or if they did intend to do it, it lasted about a week or two, you know, like joining the gym and you intend to get in shape, and about a week later, that's, well, that's too much. Where's the nearest Coke machine? You know, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. And it's very easy for Christians to be the same way. The opposition towards your life will come from many different ways. If you ever make that decision, I am not satisfied with where I am. I want to grow spiritually. I want to be the man or the woman that God intended for me to be. I'm tired of being defeated by circumstances. I'm tired of being defeated by my sin nature. I want to be a winner for Jesus Christ. I want to be a risk taker. Do you really? Well, you're going to have to get in the boat because these guys that we're reading about today, they made all kind of excuses not to get in the boat. There are three big excuses to come. And, you know, <clears throat> these guys had been following our Lord for quite a while. Excuse me. They had been following our Lord for quite a while, and now their life was about to be put to the test. Are you willing to risk it all? The risk taker is. He certainly is. These three would have failed had they gotten into this boat. I've only told you about one so far. There are two others, but none of them were willing to take a risk. And the question that I have to ask you is what's your excuse? What stands in your way? Because if you don't take control of your life, I promise you, other people will control it for you. If you don't take control of your life, other people will control it for you. So you can be a, a dream maker, and you can follow your dreams, or you can be a risk taker, and you can follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Another one of his disciples, Matthew eight twenty one, came and said, Lord, I'll get in that boat with you, but let me first of all go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Well, what did that mean? It means let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. You know, we are born physically alive, but we're born spiritually dead. Do you realize you're either going to have two births or two deaths? Did you know that? The first birth is your physical birth. The second birth is your spiritual birth. It's when you're born again. 
The first death is your physical death. The second death is when you're cast into the lake of fire. That's when the book of Revelation says this is the second death. So you're either born twice or you die twice. That doesn't sound like too good a deal, does it? Yes, it does. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want that second birth. I don't want the second death. And the Lord is saying, this man, look, this is your father. Your father has died. And to you, it's more important than anything that you go to the funeral, right? What's the most important thing? Following Jesus Christ or going to that funeral? Protocol says, family says, get over here to the funeral. It's your daddy. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. In Luke 9, 61, there is a passage of another one who said that he would follow Christ, but he wanted first of all to go home and tell his family goodbye. And the Lord said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. That's second-guessing yourself. These were all excuses. All of them were making excuses. I can't get in the boat. I can't go with you. I've got other things going on. Well, it's a good thing they didn't get in the boat. They might have dragged everybody down with them. But let's read on. In verse 23, Matthew chapter 8, And when he entered into the boat, his disciples followed him. The ones that didn't wimp out, the ones that didn't go home, the ones that didn't make excuses. And there arose a great tempest in the sea, Matthew eight twenty four. Insomuch that the boat was covered with waves, but he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, was asleep. Now you may know I'm a fisherman. I've talked about it a lot on this show. I love to bass fish. I'm a competitive bass angler. And I can tell you one of the most frightening things in the world is to be on a massive lake in a hard storm with wind and waves breaking over the bow of the boat. And you don't know if you're going to live or die. With waves so big that you can't see over them. And the bilge pumps on your boat running overtime trying to pump the water out that's being blown in. And these guys had no bilge pumps. All their bilge pumps was a bucket. And they were bailing for all of their lives. This is a huge storm. And the Lord Jesus Christ was asleep. That should tell you something. First of all, his humanity was exhausted. Remember, this was the God-man, undiminished deity and true humanity in one body forever. He was God, yes, but he was also man, and he was tired, and he was asleep, and he certainly wasn't worried about some storm. You know, isn't it interesting? The people that worry about the storms, are you one of those people? Do you allow fear to dominate your life? Is there something that is so uncontrollable in your life that you won't even do it because you're afraid? Are you afraid to fly? Are you afraid of tornadoes? Are you afraid of spiders? Are you afraid of snakes? What is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of the dark that you have to leave a light on at night? Fear is uncontrollable. And this is something that you must learn as a believer. There is no need to fear, ever. 
Jesus Christ is in control of history. He has you. You don't have to be afraid. You're not going anywhere until he says, let's come home. Until then, you're as safe as a baby in the crib. Well, these disciples didn't think about that. They came to him in verse 25 of Matthew 8 and woke him up. And they began to say, Lord, save us, because we are dying. They were convinced they were going to die. They were convinced they had had it. They were convinced that boat was going down. They couldn't bail fast enough to keep the water out of it. And they woke up the Lord, and they had the look of desperation. This is the wrong time to go to God in prayer, folks. When you're desperate, when you're finally so afraid, you think you're going to die, and now you go to the Lord in prayer, what do you want, the magic genie to pop out of the eight ball and make all the bad times go away? And then you're going to put him back in the bottle and go on down the my way highway? Is that the way you do it? You go to the Lord when you have something bad happen and you want God to fix it for you? That's what they wanted. And the Lord said unto them, Why are you afraid? That question right there is pretty, that's a condemning question. What are you doing? You are my disciple. What are you doing? Why do you have this look on your face? Why are your eyes as big as 50 cent pieces? Why are you in uncontrollable fear? And then he stood. He looked at him and he said, you are short-time trusters. You are men of little faith, short-time trusters. And then he rose, stood up, and rebuked the wind and rebuked the sea, and everything got flat calm. And the men marveled. Their eyes must have gotten as big as pies. All of a sudden, A force 12 storm turned into slick seas. And they said, is this, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Well, that wasn't man, that was God. You see, you see both sides of him there. You see Jesus the man asleep, tired, worn out. And you see Jesus as God calming the sea. Yes, Jesus Christ controls history. He controls history every day. And if it were not for his grace, we would not even be here. So when the Lord says, follow him, he means let's go. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, Joshua said, you choose this day whom you're going to follow. But as for me, as for my house, we're going to follow the Lord. In John 12, 26, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and my Father will honor him. So it's not too soon for you to make up your mind about who you're going to follow. Because if you don't take control of your life now, then somebody else will control it for you. Following Jesus Christ means that you live by his example. Listen to 1 Peter 2.21. Because of this, you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that you should follow in his steps. Why won't you follow? Well, you've got better priorities, that's why. You got a better deal, right? I mean, the world offered you a whole lot to turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ and pursue your career in something else. I have no doubt that I'm listening, excuse me, that I'm talking to some of you that perhaps should even have been in the ministry a long time ago, but you sold out. You went for a better deal. You went for security, and that was a terrible mistake, and now you know it. It's never too late. It's never too late to confess any sin, and it's never too late to get off of the My Way Highway and begin to follow Him. It means you have to confess that sin, and it means that you have to start to grow spiritually. It means you have to get under somebody that can teach you the Word of God, and you can learn it and apply it into your life consistently. This is what the Lord said in, in Luke eleven twenty eight and 29. Happiness belongs to those people that hear my Father's Word and keep it. How can you keep what you don't know? And how can you know if you don't learn? That's why the Lord said, come after me, follow me. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not a request. That's a mandate. You must learn the protocol plan of God. You must learn what to do when the storm gets rough and the seas get unbelievably tall and you are threatened with your loss of life, will you panic? Will you be afraid? Will you be a short-time truster? Or will you, like the Lord Jesus Christ, relax? Are you willing to take the point? Why didn't somebody stand up in the boat and say, man, Look, there's the Savior of the world in the front of the boat, and he's asleep. If he's not afraid, why should we be afraid? There was no leader. There was no one to follow. There was no one to set the example. How about in your family? Are you the leader? Are you the risk taker? Are you the one that will stand out front? Are you the one who did, as we said earlier, you're willing to take the point and you're not afraid to risk everything? Or are you the one that makes the excuses? I don't know which one you are, but I know which one you better be. If you want to have a life that's marked by sorrow, but defined by joy, be a risk taker. You know, the Bible says, here am I, send me. That's out of the book of Isaiah, and that's one of the mottos of that 160th Special Aviation Regiment, those Night Stalkers. Here am I. Send me. You want to read about the Night Stalkers? Read the book called In the Company of Heroes. Great book. I'll tell you all about that phenomenal organization. I made that analogy for you today. I hope you're listening, and I hope you're paying attention. Because God is looking for a few risk takers. Men and women that will take the point before we lose everything we have in this nation. My prayer is you will heed this and listen. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.